and welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 42, recorded on February 25th, 2018. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. It's good to be connected with you again today. And I'm pretty excited to announce that a new version of Lineage, version 15.1, is finally here. Yeah, it's been in the works for an awfully long time, but now it is finally here and stable. So this is based on Android 8.1 Oreo. They skipped 8 and went straight to 8.1. And it's only available for a few devices, but let's look down that list there. Oh, yes, OnePlus 3T. Sweet. I'll be getting this. Very nice. Actually, what I really like about Lineage, even as a non-user, is 15.1 introduces the rebase with Project Treble. Yeah, that's a lot of why it's only on certain devices, because it's very difficult. This has been one of the hardest changes for them to move from 14.1 to 15.1 because of all this Project Treble stuff. And that means that this launch of 15.1 is only with a select number of devices, but they do say they are working on the other ones. And fingers crossed, because I've got some pretty old legacy devices at this point, like the old Nexus 7, which is still a great tablet. So I'm looking forward to hopefully getting 15.1 running on that at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about this. Think about the context of this. This project has really grown. It supports over 180 devices, which reaches 1.8 million users and has over 700 contributors. So when they rebase with using Project Treble, it is a rework that really positions them to support future devices way, way, way down the road. So they kind of had to eat that crap sandwich for this release, and and it took a long time, and it meant supporting less devices. But long term, I think it means they they could actually integrate future versions of Android and support a wider range of hardware a lot faster. Well, that's the promise of Project Treble, isn't it? And I'm really hoping that you're right there, because... I really rely on Lineage at this point. I just cannot be doing with stock ROMs anymore. I haven't for a long time. I wouldn't buy a device that's not supported by Lineage. I think that says everything right there. And the other thing that happened in this release that I think is going to be good for future device support is they have an official device support requirements charter now. It's a document which outlines all of the requirements that a build of Lineage OS and its maintainer must meet in order to be determined quote-unquote, official. Yeah, obviously there are a number of unofficial builds knocking around XDA, and they can be a little bit ropey sometimes, like Wi-Fi not working or cellular or whatever. Whereas now, official devices, you know there is a certain list of criteria they must meet, and therefore these ROMs are going to actually work properly. And I'm surprised that it's taken them this long to put that in place, really, because it's good to know now okay, I can put that on someone's phone for them or tablet or whatever, and you know, okay, it's officially supported, it's going to work properly. Yeah, so this device support requirements charter is pretty simple at this point. It's not even very long, but it in general ensures that the official builds of Lineage 15.1 support all basic hardware that is possible, as well as receives patches against any high-profile vulnerabilities. So you were saying earlier, you only buy a device that you know will run Lineage? Well, now here's an actual charter to check off compatibility and say, yep, it meets the charter requirements. Yeah, and that security update thing is a major factor for me, knowing that it's not going to be just abandoned. And that's one of the greatest things about custom ROMs, isn't it? That you get these devices that are abandoned by the OEM, and then the good people at Lineage or other ROMs pick it up and actually backport security fixes to it. And so you're not just left high and dry. Well, if you're like me and Android isn't quite your cup of tea, I've got my Nexus 6P and I love it, but it's never really hit that perfect spot for me. I've followed the UbiPorts project with a special amount of interest, my plan B, if you will. And this week, 
they have some news, but I don't believe it's on the phone. Yeah, this is about Unity 8, which, as we know, Canonical abandoned the development of back in April last year. And it kind of limped on as Unit, Unity with a Y, but that seems to have come to an end, that project. It kind of never went anywhere. So now UbiPorts are kind of officially taking on responsibility for keeping it going. And there is a way to get it running on Ubuntu 18.04. So if you did like where they were going with this Qt-based version of Unity, then you can at least test it out. I'll admit, this has me scratching my head a bit. The Plasma desktop is sort of the premier Qt environment, but I can see it if you're really going for that vision of convergence. Well, yeah, exactly. They kind of have to keep Unity 8 going if they want to have convergence working at some point. And let's face it, this is very alpha at this point. The desktop works, but no X applications work. It's not really a usable daily driver. You're not going to get any serious work done with it. And they they have to keep it on the back burner because they're concentrating on making the actual Ubuntu Touch phone operating system for now. But once they get that to a point where it's seriously usable with the Anbox stuff running Android applications, the logical next step for them would be to get Convergence working. And they can't really abandon Unity 8 and just totally shelve it. They have to keep it ticking over. And this seems as good a way as any. Make sure it's working on 18.04 and get people testing it but I don't think they're investing masses of resources into it. I don't think it's for me yet, Joe, but I am supremely interested to see how far they can take this thing because all of the fundamentals are actually there and some of the hard work has been done. So how far can the UbiPords take this thing? That's what I'll be watching. Yeah, I feel like they're sort of quietly beavering away. We talk a lot about what Purism are doing with their phone and everything, but I think the last man standing when it comes to alternatives to Android that are based on Linux might well end up being Ubuntu Touch because it's a community project. It's not backed by some huge company. They don't have to make it amazing. They just have to have enough donations coming in to keep it going. And I think it's going to tick away and tick away and tick away. And I I don't know, I just have a lot of confidence in it long-term. Not being this huge Android, iOS uh, competitor that's going to have normal people using it. But I think that it's going to find its niche long term and it's going to get to a point where people who want a proper Linux box in their pocket will be able to use it and we're going to have convergence as part of that and it's a long way off but we need things like them working on Unity 8 to be part of that grand vision long term. I agree and that's an interesting observation that perhaps it requires an open source project that can just tool away at it for maybe a decade to nail this thing and that's what it'll take to unseat the entrenched interest. That's that's an interesting idea and it it makes me a bigger fan of the UbiPorts project overall and this is an indication of where they're going long term. It's really long term about convergence and maybe it'll help them get there a little faster and a little easier if they have some real data to base some decisions off of. Yeah, so this is something we talked about last week, how Canonical want to collect some metrics on Ubuntu users and that that is going to be opt out. The checkbox is going to be on by default and we covered the controversy about that. Well, they've cleared up one question this week and that is people upgrading to 18.04, that's going to be opt in. You're going to have to, once you've gone through the upgrade process, go in and actively opt into that. 
although there is talk of trying to find an elegant way to prompt users during the update, but uh, not that confident about that, I'm afraid. It's called an N-Curses interface, my friend, and it's wonderful. And I think they should do it. I've talked to both Dustin Kirkland and Will Cook directly in last week's Linux Unplugged and got all of my questions answered. And some of the things that people have been worried about, like location tracking, they are not even getting down beyond just the country that you're in. I'm all about this. I think if they can figure out what packages are used more, what applications crash more, and the most common types of hardware setups that people have, then not only does Ubuntu get better, but all of the downstream distributions get better. Yeah, I can kind of see it, but I really hope that Canonical and the people working there have read Stuart Langridge's blog post about this. He didn't call out Ubuntu specifically, but the timing of it is clearly not a coincidence. And it's entitled Collecting User Data While Protecting User Privacy. And he talks a lot about data science and aggregation and stuff. And one of the key points in it that I'd never really thought about, because I don't really think much about data science is that you can collect data in a way that totally anonymizes people by having a certain percentage of those machines reporting false information. Yeah, they lie. Well, that's the thing. If you know that 20% of the users that are reporting data back to you or users' machines that are reporting back to you are reporting slightly false information it averages out to give you essentially the same statistical data, but everyone is completely anonymous because you don't know whether their machine lied to you or not. Right, so in aggregate, the the stats are actually fairly accurate. Yeah, and this only works if you are truly interested in just statistical analysis, like Canonical say they are. If you're a company who is trying to track people and do evil stuff, then this becomes absolutely useless to you. So let's hope that they actually do something like this and prove everyone wrong that they are only interested in the statistics. This reminds me of the collection of data model that Apple claims that they supposedly implement called differential privacy, and it's essentially this. Well, you would hope that it would be an industry standard at this point, and that's why last week when we talked about this, I said that I really want them to open source their back-end technology that is analyzing this data. Because if it does turn out that they are doing this, then I think a lot of people are going to be far more relaxed about it and will go far easier on them. DigitalOcean.com. In fact, even better, for a limited time, go to do.co slash action and get a $100 credit at DigitalOcean. New accounts only, but this is the perfect opportunity to try out DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is infrastructure that you can spin up on demand. Everything is on SSDs, and they're resizable depending on your requirements. You select the region, they have eight data centers all over the world, and then you go. Now, they have standard droplets. Those have gotten even better, more competitive. The price is even lower. But what I love are the flexible droplets. For around $15 a month, you mix and match everything to what your application needs do.co slash action to get in on that $100 credit. They have the best dashboard, ready-to-go applications. Like, you can employ an entire GitLab stack with a single click. Bam! That gets deployed on the DigitalOcean droplet. Or you can build a system all the way up from the ground up using CoreOS or Fedora or FreeBSD or Debian or Ubuntu. Whatever you like, you can deploy it on DigitalOcean. Then you use their great dashboard, their API, or whatever floats your boat. DigitalOcean.com. No, no. Better than that, do.co slash action. 
Excellent news for the Signal project this week. They now have a foundation thanks to a $50 million cash injection by Brian Acton, who is one of the co-founders of WhatsApp. So that has got to be good news for user privacy and encrypted messaging. Yeah, over on the Signal blog, they talk about all of the things they can do now. They say they can increase the size of their team, their capacity, and their ambitions. And it means it reduces the uncertainty on the path to sustainability. And there is a bit of a tone that comes across in this blog post from Moxie himself. And the tone is, we haven't gotten to where we want to be yet. We wanted to be more competitive by this point. But by sticking to our ideals and not taking any VC funding, we haven't been able to really keep up with the telegrams and the other messaging platforms of the world. And maybe now, with $50 million of funding into a foundation, we'll begin to build the runway to do that. But this WhatsApp connection, again, WhatsApp uses the Signal protocol, doesn't it, for the encryption, and yet they don't contribute back any changes because they've got some weird license agreement. I've always found it very strange, this relationship that they have. And that's further complicated by Brian Acton, who was one of the co-founders, actually giving them this money to do it. It's all a bit strange, isn't it? What's even more interesting, Joe, is that Moxie writes in this blog post, he says, perhaps most significantly, the addition of Brian brings an incredibly talented engineer and visionary with decades of experience to our products team. Like he's, Brian Acton's going to take a active role in the development of Signal. Well, he's certainly very successful, isn't he? And he must be a good engineer. So this has got to be good news for Signal. I mean, I don't know anyone who doesn't use WhatsApp in this country. I know it's not that popular over there, but here it is huge. I do think it's popular in the States among a certain demo, but yeah, from what, from just the conversations you and I have had offline, it doesn't sound like it's quite as popular, but it is a well-known name. And that's, that's a big deal in this market. When you combine the funding through this foundation, the name of Brian Acton and his experience, and the name of Moxie, long, long term, 10 years down the road, I would bet all of the Bitcoin on Signal and not so much on Telegram or other quote-unquote secure messaging programs. Yeah, it makes me kind of tempted to give it a go, really, that now I know they're going to have some investment here and develop well, and hopefully they can trigger some sort of network effect with this because it's not really much use if no one else is using it, is it? And I don't know that many people using Signal, whereas everyone seems to use either WhatsApp or Telegram at this point. I mean, there's some people I still talk to on Hangouts. I just Do I need another messenger at this point? I'm not sure you do, but you do need another CPU architecture. Yeah, Risk Five, which is the completely open CPU architecture. Now there's a seriously good dev board available for pre-order, but it's going to be shipping soon. And this is called the High Five Unleashed, and this is from a company called Sci Five. And it was kind of a weird crowdfunder on crowd supply, where it was one dollar was their goal. So it's really just using crowd supply to process the payments, really. And they've raised $117,000, but here's the kicker. It's $999. Okay, it's got 8 gigabytes of RAM. It's a decent board, but I remember we talked about at Christmas, my hopes were that we were going to get a Raspberry Pi competitor based on Risk Five, And okay, this is kind of of that ilk, but this is no Raspberry Pi competitor at nearly $1,000. 
999 US greenbacks. Eight gigabytes of RAM on that sucker, right? Eight gigabytes of RAM, a micro SD card slot. It has an expansion port, and you've got that essential five core. It's it's four cores of high performance CPUs and one low performance CPU. So it's I say essentially five core. It's really four usable cores, and then like a low power core. Um, and they're going to start shipping this thing March 2018. I can't afford this. Elon Musk might be able to afford this. If this could get in the price range of $100, I think even around there, even close to $100, it's a great buy. Yeah, this is a very limited run. It's the first run. It's for developers and people who want to back this whole movement towards a totally free architecture. It's not for people who want to tinker on the weekends. It's for people who are full-time invested in this stuff. And once they can expand the production run, the price is hopefully going to drop significantly. And it's clearly popular. There's a 100 people have backed this, which, okay, it's not that many, but it's $100,000 plus that's gone into it. So it shows that there is a market for this. People do care about a completely open architecture. I really want to see the benchmarks on this and how it compares to ARM because it's not going to compete with x86. That's quite clear. But how does it compare to ARM CPUs of a similar power draw and similar frequency, that sort of thing? I said it at Christmas and I'm saying it now. We need this to be good and we need people to invest in it. And already there's a Fedora image uh, for RISC-V that hopefully will work on this device. The whole RISC-V platform and building system on a chips that are completely free and open to run Linux is one of the stories that is going to be really fascinating to follow throughout 2018. Find a link to the video of the launch at linuxactionnews.com slash 42. In fact, links to everything we've talked about today, linuxactionnews.com slash 42. But specifically, I linked in there the FOSDEM link. It's a, it goes right to the MP4 of the launch of the High 5 Yeah, hopefully a big year for RISC-V and freedom in general and it's also a big year for comebacks by the looks of things tech talk today is back surely not (laughs) i couldn't help myself tech talk today tech talk dot today slash 261 the launch yeah I'm, i'm bringing it back for 10 episodes i thought it'd be fun to do a limited run because when we launch podcasts we always just go indefinitely forever so what if i launched a podcast and i said i'm only doing 10 episodes So for those people who've never heard Tech Talk today, what's it all about? It's really taking a look at the news in technology of the day from the perspective of the open source community outside the Silicon Valley bubble with a broader understanding of technology and its impact on our privacy, our security, monitoring us. You know, a lot of times it's not that there's a, there aren't other tech shows. They're just really super focused on like smartphones and all of the cool stuff coming out of California. And I have the advantage of being outside that bubble and in the open source community. So it's looking with that perspective, trying to tell a story, tell everybody something interesting, get them caught up on the news that matters. And while I'm going down to scale, the story of going to scale, interacting with the Linux community. And if I could be so lucky, where the hell Linux is going in 2018? I want to try to include all of that in season one of Tech Talk Today. That's an awful lot to pack into 10 episodes. So I look forward to listening to the next nine. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to pull it off, but I'm going to give it my best. TechTalk.today, and you can go to TechTalk.today slash subscribe to get every single new episode, just like you can go to LinuxActionNews.com slash subscribe and get every single episode of this show. 
Yeah, and you can go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch with us. And we have tons of exciting things in store for 2018, and we could use your support and get exclusive Tech Talk Today extras at patreon.com slash jupitersignal. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Rissington. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Thank you.